tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we're speaking with Daniel Magler. Daniel is a clinical social worker host of the Not Allowed to Die podcast and mental health director for Pause for Patrick, a nonprofit organization that connects young people with mental health issues to animals. They provide funding to acquire animals and training and can link families to a therapist who write emotional support animal letters pro bono for people who have a diagnosable condition. Dan was Patrick's school social worker, and when Patrick died by suicide in May of 2020, he was lost. Patrick's family began this organization to honor Patrick's deep love of animals and hopefully help prevent other families from feeling their pain. Daniel, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I love your show, so this is exciting. (laughs) Well, of course, first and foremost, before we get into everything that we're going to talk about today, how did you get to be passionate about cats? Well, I didn't think I was a cat person. And then my high school and into college girlfriend had three cats, um, Kisa, Seamus and Worthless was their other cat. (laughs) And uh, I just found that they could have such different personalities and different roles in a family and whatnot. And the amazing impact that it would have on her interacting with the cats and just brightening her day and whatnot. So I eventually did get my own cat, Bella. um, And so we had her for many years. And so I just have found that, again, each cat is so different, but what they can add to your life can be incredible. Wow. That's, that's great. It's really amazing. I want to dive into this topic and it's probably not an easy talk topic for some folks here. You know, we're talking about emotional support animals and before we get into pause for Patrick and what it's all about, you know, what is an an emotional support animal? What, what's the purpose of it? So research has found, and some of the research I'll be quoting, uh, Dr. Hoy, Gerlach from the University of Toledo is doing a lot of great research and we're working with her, but that people can really be benefited in their mental health struggles. And that can be anxiety, depression, even things like schizophrenia by just spending time with an animal. So an emotional support animal is an animal that spending time with it can help a person reduce the symptoms of their mental health disorder. We find often for people with anxiety, just stroking a cat, uh, particularly cats, a lot of the research has been done on, can lower their heart rate and help them to breathe in a more calm way. It can help with intrusive negative thoughts. So if I'm just getting these bad thoughts in my head, just being with the animal and kind of like bonding with them can reduce that. It can help with insomnia. Um, So a number of different mental health symptoms that we're experiencing can be reduced so by spending time. Now, the animal doesn't have to be doing any work. It can be the pet that you have. So you could have an emotional support snake or tarantula or anything that's even just looking at a fish in an aquarium for some people is their emotional support animal. Because when they spend time interacting with the animal or even just looking at it, again, they get those mental health benefits, reduction of the symptoms. So people will sometimes ask, do I have to get a registration for my animal to be an emotional support animal? And the answer is no, the animals are not registered you as an individual, the person who has the mental health condition will get a letter that you can use to give to a landlord or however you're 
living or a dorm or whatnot that says, I have a condition that is benefited by having this emotional support animal. And then whatever animal you're using for that will work as far as doing that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then, so sort of the polar opposite of having a service dog or a service <laughs> animal that goes with the animal and they're trained specifically to serve a purpose? Exactly. A service animal, and this is a much greater, a a humongous level of training. And service animals are directly tied to the person and they must be with the person to be qualified. And they are working animals. So the cost of getting a service animal is usually about $12,000 to train a service animal. And some people do have psychiatric support service animals. So the difference would be a psychiatric support service animal will be trained that when a person is having, say, an anxiety attack, the dog is trained or whatever the animal is, cat, monkey, people even have, you know, there are emotional support miniature horses and things, but that animal would have to be trained to then respond to the stimuli and then perhaps lick the person's face or move alongside them to help remediate the symptoms. So one young man we helped for Paws for Patrick has a seizure disorder And, you know, he is getting a service animal that both helps with the seizure disorder in recognizing when he's having a seizure and can go get help, but also helps with his anxiety and other things. So that might be a service animal. Then there's another type of animal, which is called a therapy dog or therapy animal. A therapy dog is one that is trained to be around people and be working and to be pet and to be brought into situations. So at Pause for Patrick, we have therapy dog handlers who their, their dog is trained, and then they might go into a mental health clinic. We have them to go to schools or elderly homes so that people who can't have animals can have that opportunity to interact with them. So there's, that's an intermediate level of training where there's the service dog training is significantly more. But the ESAs themselves don't need any training. At Paws for Patrick, we do provide training for people's ESAs, but that's more just so that they will not chew up the furniture or do anything to, or to help the, the, our wish seekers bond with their animal so that it's just a better fit, but not because necessarily it's not certifying them, those animals to do anything other than to make sure that it's not more stressful having the animal. So in determining who gets an ESA letter, I mean, how do you decide that? I mean, I've read tons of articles saying for everybody in general, having a a pet is really good for their overall health and wellness and, and that kind of thing. How do you get one of these ESA letters or how do you determine whether somebody specifically needs it? So if a person comes to me and they would like to get an ESA letter, the first thing that I as a clinician have to do is form a relationship with them. So the law says that the person writing the letter has to have a a relationship where they really understand. It's not just a 15 minute chat and I'm under, I really know the person. So I have to know them well enough to know that they really do have a disability and that those symptoms of their disability could be remediated by spending time with an animal. So step one, figure out how to make and build that connection and relationship. So at Pause for Patrick, when people reach out to our organization, they, they'll click the button on their website, fill out a form, and they'll get paired with what we call a wish grantor, who they act as sort of a case manager. Some people might just, they might already have their pet and they might just need an ESA letter. They would then connect that person to a clinician and the clinician would work with the person to determine how to form that relationship. Very frequently, a lot of the people have a therapist, 
And their therapist has just never written an ESA letter before. So because they don't know how to do that, they say, ah, I'm not comfortable. And so we at Poster Patrick might reach out to their therapist and have them sign a release so we can find out more about the person or help informing the relationship or so that we can teach their therapist to write the letter. It's best if the letter comes from a clinician who really knows them well. So then after we, we, st- we start establishing the relationship, we determine, are there symptoms that could be benefited by having an animal? And typically there are because animals do so many different things for us to help reduce those symptoms. Again, I listed a few of them and it can even help with things like social anxiety, getting out, or even the care for an animal can help a person get out of bed. So we're looking at, is there a condition? Would the condition help be remediated? And then the the letter is a very simple thing to write. And that letter is only necessary, again, mostly for housing. ESA letters cannot allow a person to bring their animal around with them to different places. It's pretty much just to where you live or if you're staying in certain hotel accommodations and whatnot. So people will often ask about flights and things like that. And the airlines have recently changed their stance where they're usually requiring it to be a service animal if you're bringing it on a flight unless or else you'd have to pay their pet fee. If you do have an ESA letter, you cannot be charged pet fees or at an added bonus, um, and you cannot be asked to leave, nor can the apartment or whatnot put any restrictions on what kind of breed or what kind of animal you can have, nor the size of it. But if your community does have a, a community rule saying, hey, whether it's about feral cats or whether it's about pit bulls, and the community itself says, hey, in our town, you're not allowed to have baby elephants, then that can't be your ESA, if that makes sense. So that's what our job, you know, when a, when a client gets referred to me or what we, a wish seeker is what we call them at Paws Patrick, I'm interviewing them to find out what that disability is. And then I'm also trying to find out, are they healthy enough and are they ready to have an animal? Because we want to make sure that we're doing what's best for people, but we're also doing what's best for animals. And we would never put an animal in a situation where we're not sure that that person is going to be able to take care of them. So at Posture Patrick, we never say no to people who are seeking reaching out to us, but we might say not yet, that what we're hearing from them is we're not yet sure. And so, hey, I might have to reach out to your therapist you were working with and talk to them. So we're putting people in a good situation. But yeah, so that's generally the process of getting the ESA letter. So my first introduction to ESA letters and getting support animals was really in the context of colleges, college mm-hmm. kids getting ESA animals. Is has that true? Is that really a trend that a lot of colleges now allow for support animals? Yes. And it's it's really increasing quite a bit. And most of the colleges though, even if a student is working with their college, like I had a one of my clients through Poster Patrick was at Ohio State. And the clinician at Ohio State who he was working with said, I would totally approve this for you, but I'm not allowed by policy of the university to write letters for the kids I'm working with. So he had to reach out to me to get somebody else to write that letter. And so in addition, the colleges will usually have an added form that they'll want the clinician to fill out. And so one of the things we say is reach out to your housing department or whatnot and get that form and send it to us and we'll also fill that out. But it's They're just wanting to make sure, especially living in a dorm, can be very stressful for animals. And that's one of the reasons why we think cats make such excellent ESAs, particularly for college students. A lot of the people are thinking dog, and dogs are great, love dogs, but a dog in a dorm can be very reactive to people partying above you or below you. So again, we want to make sure we're finding a fit that's going to be sustainable. And so the colleges, even UCLA is talking about referring to us when they get people to come And because again, they're not wanting to write those ESA letters. And so we're looking for clinicians in California, 
uh, ESA letters should be written, the, the clinician has to be licensed to practice in the state where they're writing it for. So while Pause for Patrick is based out of uh, Lake Forest, Illinois, we've written letters or worked with clients and not just writing letters, we help place animals whatnot in 20 different states so far. So, and we're hoping to expand that. Fascinating. That's really interesting. So, you know, I can just hear some of our listeners out there saying, well, you know, it's great. All these college kids getting, getting cats and dogs, but all they're going to do, they're going to just leave a senior year and they're going to walk away and the cats are going to be left behind on campus and we're going to have to TNR them or they're not going to get them spayed and neutered. Do you see that with some of the cases that you work with that the cats get left behind? No. In fact, we find that, especially when we're dealing with an emotional support animal, for them, for a person to leave behind their emotional support animal, they would look at you like you were asking them to leave behind their arm. You know, how could they possibly, they'll say, how could I, I can't, I really have difficulty functioning without my animal. And that's when we're, when we're considering a person for an ESA letter, we wouldn't be considering someone who just wanted this for fun. This is something that is truly integral to their life. And so, no, that's not something that we've encountered is people who are, now I know when I was in college, lived in a fraternity, they, uh, one of my friends wanted to adopt a dog and have him live in the fraternity house. And the agency said, absolutely not. We will not adopt out to a fraternity because they just had bad experiences. And I respect that agency. I can understand why they didn't think that was a good idea. But Patrick, uh, who the organization is named for, his older brother, Ben, got, I wrote an ESA letter for him. Ben hadn't had emotional issues prior to the loss of his brother. But naturally, as you can imagine, the adjustment, the sadness, it was difficult for him to get out of bed sometimes. So his dog, Ollie, lives with him at the University of Michigan, and they live in a fraternity house. And again, it's, it's also been a benefit not just to Ben, but to a lot of his fraternity brothers to have that interaction with an animal. And so I find that for so many, they become the most popular room in the fraternity or sorority house or on campus because everyone wants to be around that animal. And then transitioning and finding an apartment week to take that animal too. Now that they have the ESA letter, they're not going to have difficulty finding an apartment where they can bring their animal to after they graduate. That's a very good point that that ES letter, ESA letter gives them some, mm -hmm. some strength to be able to get into an apartment that might not otherwise have let them have an animal. So that, that is really good to know. Very good to know. Ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org slash cats. Maddie's Pet Forum. Come for an answer. Stay for the community. It's 87 degrees outside, which means it could be more than 110 degrees inside your car. However, in most states, it's illegal to rescue animals or children from hot cars. But with only minutes to spare, many choose to rescue animals from cars at their own risk. And many owners choose gratitude. Never leave pets or children unattended in a car. Because a few minutes is never a few minutes. And minutes may be all they have. This PSA is brought to you by Companion Animals for Reform and Equity. 
Team Dubert is at it again, and now they have an amazing companion case management module that once again revolutionizes how you rescue animals. Dubert partnered with Dallas Pets Alive and the Spay-Neuter Network to build a powerful solution that allows you to manage cases of any kind. Whether owner surrender calls or emails, community cat tracking and reporting, Dubert is the only system that integrates two-way text messaging, automatic follow-ups, and even a rehoming solution that every organization can use. No more trying to manage 10 different technologies when everything is all in one place and tightly integrated. From fostering to transport, fundraising to e-commerce, supply and demand to case management, Dubert has everything you need to streamline your operations so you can focus on saving more animals. Check out the new companion case management module at www.dubert.com CCM and get signed up today. So you talked about a bit about Patrick and and why Pause for Patrick started, but tell me a little bit more in detail about the organization. What are your hopes and dreams for it? You know, are you the the key member of the organization? You're running, turning everything going here. Um, (laughs) And and what what do you hope for it? Because you're relatively new. I mean, you just started within the last couple of years and it sounds like you've done some amazing work. You've already been in 20 states. So, so what, what's pause for Patrick and where are we going to go with this? I would say Franzi Romer, Patrick's mother, and Steve Romer, uh, his dad, are really the engines behind pause for Patrick. But there are a number of us who are so inspired by them. You know, after Patrick died, a GoFundMe was set up and it raised $100,000 in a few weeks. And Patrick's parents said, we don't need this money. What should we do with it that can honor his legacy? And his love for his dog, Cece, was so... Patrick was the kind of person who couldn't always speak when he was anxious or upset. He had tried you know, therapy, but again, when he was in the moments when he needed it most at two in the morning on a Wednesday, you can't talk to your therapist, but Cece could be there. And so that's the dream for Pause for Patrick is to be able to reach all those people who, and we're fully in favor of therapy. I mean, that's, I do it as a profession, but we know that therapy isn't enough for everybody. So we hope that every person who could benefit from having an animal is getting that connection and that we're helping animals and we're helping people. So we would love to be a national organization that is able to give people. We don't charge anybody any money. In fact, we can give up to $500 to people to acquire an animal and up to $750 for training. If that's something that people who are, there are many people who are lower income who can't necessarily afford to get, say they have allergies or whatnot, they need a certain kind of pet. So we want to be able to continue to provide that for people without them having to worry about the cost so that this mental health treatment, which isn't a medication, which is accessible to anybody, um, gets out there for everyone. So that's our main goal. And so we just want to keep growing. So if anybody who's hearing this can promote us on their social media or look up our website, which is pauseforpatrick.org. And it's just you know, F-O-R, not the number four in Pause for Patrick. Uh, follow us on Facebook or on Instagram. We're always posting cute images of animals and whatnot on there. And September is one of the biggest months of the year for us because it's Suicide Awareness Month. And so in May, we do a Turn Our Towns Green event where we, we're the month of May is also Mental Health Awareness Month, but those are our two big times of year. So we'll be hoping to spread our message and just and keep increasing the number of people who are aware of ESAs and how to get ESA letters ethically and legally, and also whatever other support they need. Wow, that's uh, very impressive. And I, I'm just trying to think here, you know, when you're talking about doing this matchmaking, do you hear from folks after the fact and like how things are going? And have you ever had a situation, I'm sure you have, 
where, you know, maybe it hasn't been the greatest match or, you know, how engaged are you after the person has found their pet? Yes, we like to say, again, at Paws for Patrick, that we're in it with you for the long haul. And when I write a letter for someone, I might say, if you need this letter, so if I'm working with a family of a 13-year-old who is you're getting their ESA letter, and I say, when you know, she goes off to college, you can reach back out to me. And again, because this idea of we're forming a relationship. And we ask occasionally to get picture updates and you know, things like that, because we want to see how people are doing. We had one of Patrick's best friends got a dog, and for him, the, the, the pairing was just not working, and that dog had to be rehomed. And it was something that where we paid for, we, we had our limit on the amount of money we could spend for training. But after working with the wish grantor said, Hey, they needed some extra training. Well, and even after spending the money on the extra training, it just still was not going to be a good fit. So again, we would never want a person's mental health to become worse <laughs> because of maintaining a relationship there. So we're going to stick with people. And we find that those are the people who want to stick with us. And our best referral source are the families who we've been able to help. So we're hoping to you know, continue to work with people and their families for decades. <laughs> that's our goal. Wow, that's excellent. So in addition to what you do with Pause for Patrick, you're also a podcaster. You have your own show. Do you want to share a little bit about the podcast that you do? Sure. Uh, Not Allowed to Die is my podcast about mental health, where I answer listener questions about how to get mental health support, or even questions of things like, how, it should, how do I know when it's a good fit with me and my therapist? Or how do I help a friend through a difficult emotional health issue? So I'll talk about, I'm a school social worker and a therapist in private practice. I've worked in hospitals and in group homes. So I have a a general understanding of a lot of different aspects of mental health. I also, like many people in the mental health field, have a lot of family history and personal history. I unfortunately lost uh, my nephew to suicide on January 24th this year. So it's a a situation where that's where Pause for Patrick and my work with it has been so beneficial to me. Because when we are hurting from a mental health place, often the best thing we can do is turn to help others. And so, again, in my podcast, I I address any of those issues. So when people have questions about how do I seek support in a school setting or whatnot, I'm able to answer that. The podcast tends to be about 20 minutes long, and I podcast alongside my podcast partner, Mariska, the three-toothed Patterdale Terrier, who I... (laughs) I have right by me right now. So if you hear her chains jangling, she tends to be pretty quiet. But uh, yes, I really enjoy doing that. The podcast comes out weekly. So, you know, in the animal welfare space, as we've had all through COVID and everything, there's been a lot of stress and anxiety out there in our world. And, you know, we were before COVID talking about compassion fatigue, Mm -hmm. uh, moral distress. We have shortages, staffing shortages throughout the whole industry. And I'm not going to ask you, Daniel, to solve all of the world's (laughs) problems for us today. But based on your background, you know, when people do feel like they are under stress, under a lot of pressure, you know, in a, in a workspace environment, in a home environment, I mean, is, is there a quick recommendation, you know, to go turn and pet your cat and give them some hug and some loving, go outside, get some fresh air. I mean, or do we look for different um, outlets for ourselves, whatever works best for us? What, what's your thought? I think absolutely to reach to a, a pet and whatnot, because they are empathy machines and they can sense how we're doing without us having to say anything. Often our pets will know how we're doing before we do and they'll connect in that way. Dalton Kleckner is a psychologist 
who I don't know if you've seen the movie Inside Out, but it's an animated movie where there are little people that represent our emotions inside the head of a little girl. And he was the psychological consultant on that movie. And he'd spent the first 20 years of his career being a depression researcher, but then he found that depressing. So he decided to start researching happiness. And what he found is that 90 seconds a week of gratitude, practicing gratitude, and 90 seconds a week of awe can really change us and put us in a happier state. Well, practicing gratitude, I think most of us can understand that. We think about things and people we're thankful for. So that 90 seconds while we're brushing our teeth or doing whatnot, that isn't so hard. 90 seconds of awe just means spending time with something that brings out the, wow, that's amazing. So for some of us who are animal lovers, I know my Instagram is filled with pictures of baby elephants bathing and doing things like that. So that can bring awe to me. But his research just had the experimental group staring at a tree, looking at nature. And the control group was staring at an ugly building. But I think that awe can come so easily for any of us who love animals from just looking in an animal's eyes or stroking their fur. It can help ground us and take us into a place where we're, we're in the moment. The term mindfulness is being thrown around a lot. And really all it means is being present in the moment where you are, savoring that moment, savoring that experience. And so there's something about feeling the breathing and the purring and the warmth of an animal, a cat in particular, and just again, stroking it, that can help you be mindful and be fully inhabiting yourself in that space. So I would highly recommend people when they are feeling overwhelmed to slow down, take a breath, look around for that gratitude and awe. Depression pulls us in. It is kind of a black hole that just has its own gravity. And when we practice gratitude and awe, it changes our focus and makes us look outward at the world and, and how great so many things in the world still are, even in these really hard times. Yeah, I mean, I find that there's quite a few folks out there that think the world is against them. They're the only person around. Nobody's taking care of the cats in their community. They're out there feeding at two o'clock in the morning because they're afraid the neighbor is, you know, going to harm the cats in some way, shape or form. And uh, I am a totally an optimist in this world of a lot of folks that are not that optimistic in trying to find a bright light in there some way, some shape, some form is, you know, one of my goals with this podcast is trying to help folks understand they're not alone and that every little bit that they do to help the situation is going to help overall. And you, you never know when when magic can happen to you. You never know. You might find that three doors down, someone else has been feeding those cats for 10 years, right? And um, there was an article in a, a paper recently about they put a, a collar on a cat, a paper collar on a cat because they the cat was getting so fat and they were saying, you know, please don't feed me because I'm gaining too much weight, you know, but it was like the whole, then the whole neighborhood realized they were all feeding the same cat and the cat was really owned, you know? So there is this love and this compassion, but it's all like anonymous out there and it's unacknowledged and we do have to acknowledge it and, and believe in it and, you know, feel refreshed by it instead of drained by it. But I think that we worry so much about our community cats that are out there because we're not controlling the environment that we're in. So there's all this anxiety. Oh, is he going to get hit by a car tonight? Or did she have kittens last night? There's all of this anxiety that we deal with, especially in the summertime with the kittens and, and that kind of thing. And it's really hard sometimes to just to try and help people to pull them back to say, you have to come back, you have to breathe. I mean, I used to, when I was overwhelmed, I would I would come home and I'd go in the shower for 30 minutes and I would just be like, this is my, my safe zone. This is my, and it's my transition area. This is where I go. I get washed the day off. 
and then I go into a new environment. And I don't know if you talk about transitions with people, if they're going from an uncomfortable environment into a safer space or whatever, but I found that to be very helpful for me. And I think it really is so much about that mindset. In the book, The Courage to be Disliked, which is a Japanese book with an English translation, but they explore a lot of the psychology of Alfred Adler. And Adler says, in order to be really happy, we need two things. One is a mission that's bigger than us, something that we care about, that we're working toward, that we feel like connects us to the infinite, like whether it's our children or whether it's saving cats or doing something else that just, you know, it makes us feel it's bigger than us. And the other thing is decent interpersonal relationships. And he says the biggest barrier to decent interpersonal relationships is this feeling of one person taking on another person's task and trying to control more than they can control. And we have to say, what can I actually control here? And so when we're saying, is this, is this my task or is this the cat's task? You know, this cat has been surviving on, on his or her own for a while. I will do what I can do for them, but then the rest is up to them. And if I'm trying to control what the neighbors think or what anybody else does, that's not going to work. I'm going to show up with good intent and I'm going to do the best that I can. And then I'm going to trust that the world, the world was okay before I got here and the world's going to be okay after I leave, but I'm, I'm giving my best to it in this moment that I'm here. One of the fastest or the, the easiest ways for people to learn mindfulness and, and meditation is in the shower. And I often say to people to take 90 seconds of their shower and just make a slight adjustment to the temperature and feel, just breathe and be in the shower. And you don't have to do anything differently than you're already doing, but you're medit- that's all meditating is. Meditating doesn't mean we have to be cross-legged and floating above the floor. It means simply that we are inhabiting the space that we're in. So if we're already in that shower and we just turn it up just a little bit warmer, or a little bit cooler, and then just 10 deep breaths in and out, feeling that temperature change, maybe stretching a little in the shower, we're inhabiting our body. And then, as you said, when we turn off the shower, all, all the stress that we brought in is going down the drain and we're going in out fresh and we're going to get dirty again. We're going to get stressed again, just like we do every day, but there'll be another shower for us and that's fine. So, yeah, I hope those tips are useful. Very useful. That's great. That's fantastic. And, uh, you know, the folks that you're referencing in our conversation today, we'll try to get some of that in the show notes so that if their folks want to do some further research, that would be great. Well, going back to pause for Patrick, do you have a website? Are you on Facebook? Uh, how can we're, people find you? So for the pauseforpatrick.org is our website. And that's where if you want to volunteer and help us out, you can click the volunteer form. Or if you were a, a help seeker, and, and we'd love to get paired with a wish grantor. And one of my students said, well, what if I already have the animal and I already have the letter, but I just need some help with training or whatnot. We tend, our major focus is for young people. So people who are 26 and younger, but even if you're 56, if you have a mental health condition, especially if you live with younger people, we know that you're going to have a harder time being a great parent if you're dealing with stress and whatnot. So we want to try to find a way to help um, as many people as we can. So don't be afraid to fill out our form, even if you're not sure if we could connect with you. And if, if we can, we will. Uh, we're just making sure we prioritize the young people as quickly at, at first. So Instagram, uh, it's also Pause for Patrick and on Facebook. And so those are the main areas where uh, we're out there. Great. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I think just to know that, that ESAs are, there are a lot of people who are protective in the ESA space who get nervous about the idea that uh, it's being taken advantage of, that there, there are people who are critical, that people just want to bring their animals everywhere. And emotional support animals are a real tremendous benefit to people. That there are, if you look online, there'll be people saying that if there are a lot of scams out there and if people are paying to get an ESA letter, that it's always a scam. It's not necessarily always a scam, but the key you have to remember is that 
in order for an ESA to be letter to be valid, there has to be a relationship and there has to be connection. We have to know that this is really necessary. So do seek out and seek support. And if you have a therapist or you are a therapist and you want to learn more about writing ESA letters, please reach out to me. You can get my information off of uh, the Pause for Patrick um, or the Find Not Allowed to Die, uh, the podcast, and I'll get my information to you. And I'd be happy to help anybody out there to learn how to write ethical, legal ESA letters. Excellent. Well, Daniel, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on the show, and I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Thank you so much. It was great. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Did you attend the online kitten conference in June? We hope you enjoyed the incredible content provided by our expert presenters and hope their guidance and encouragement will help you turn your passion for cats into action. Events like the online kitten conference would not be possible without the support of our generous sponsors. CDE Animal Cages, Best Friends Animal Society, Zinzi Pie Save My Pet ID Tag, Humane Network, Feline Fixed by Five, and Cat Savant. If your business or organization would like to support content that makes a difference for cats in communities worldwide, visit communitycatspodcast.com slash event dash sponsorship.